Scribes Journey is supported by our patrons. Join them today at patreon.com slash scribesjourney. Hello and welcome to the Scribe's Journey with the Three Scribes. I am Travis J. Corkin, the Calm Scribe. I am LJ Stanton, the Pedantic Scribe. And I am T.R. Albee, the Oddball Scribe. So how are you all doing tonight? I'm really excited about this topic because it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart. One of my, my degrees is actually in history, so I lived and breathed research during that period of time. Uh, so I've always loved doing research. Same thing for me. I've always been interested in research. I took a ton of art history courses and things like that in history and language. And that's actually why I have a new white bookshelf behind me in my office to get all of the research books that I have for writing because they couldn't fit on my desk anymore. So we are here to discuss research in your writing. So why is research important in fiction? It is important because despite the fact that you are working on speculative fiction of some kind, you are taking inspiration from the world around you. No matter what you're building, you're going to be pulling things in. Like our brains do not come up with something that is truly 100% unique. Like when we're building our characters' faces, we're pulling from all the people we've ever seen. You can look that up because it's true. So you need to do your research to make sure that the things that you are pulling from, you're writing correctly, whether that's describing those faces that you've seen that are not ethnically the same as yours, or if you're even just doing research about where things are positioned in this city. If you're writing an urban mystery that is set in New York, you really should get some of those street names right so that you're not deciding, oh, well, they're going to walk past the World Trade Center Memorial and then turn right and go down Broadway. I have no idea whether or not that's true, but I guarantee you a New Yorker is going to be able to say, you've never actually done this and you didn't do your research and you're going to get a bad review for it. And as a science fiction author, it's extremely important because one of my goals is to create technologies and ideas and concepts that actually have a possibility of being made into something. And to that end, you need to do your research to understand what superluminal travel is, what warp bubbles are what the speed of light is, and also when it comes to science fiction and fantasy as well. People are vicious if you do not do your research and you get things wrong. And we've seen a bit of knowledge be done wrong or an idea or a concept be slightly off. And people will jump on it because as we talk about in writing, there are speed bumps. And a speed bump of getting a main key detail wrong will speed bump readers out of your story. It sits in the back of your head. So that's something that you don't want a reader doing when they're reading your book. You don't want them putting your book down to pick up the wormhole that is Google to see if what you wrote is accurate or not, because you will lose them down that wormhole. The more often you do that, the bigger the risk. They're just not going to pick your book back up again at some point. I mean, if you're building an entirely brand new world, you still need to know how things are mapped out how streets are planned. If there is a traffic flow, I don't know if that's even part of someone's story could be, right? But maybe there is something you have to research about city planning, depending on how far you want to get into the whole world building aspect, which we spoke about last episode. All that research goes into what you need to to build even in a world that doesn't exist. At least those instances, people can't call you on your bullshit because that stuff doesn't really exist. Unless it's it's a parallel universe and someone else is looking at it and saying, well, you're wrong. My house is right over here. (laughs) 
But if it doesn't <laughs> make the sense, it, they can still color, color your vote on it. And didn't you, I yeah. think it was either last episode or in another conversation, you mentioned the amount of research you had to do because your story that you're editing now is steampunk. And you need to make sure of what technology was available at what time and when things were invented. And so you're not stepping on your own foot by saying that, you know, he was using a typewriter when typewriters were invented for another 30 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I gave myself a timeline. I said in my research of all the technology from the 1900 on, I could not use, right? So the digital computers that we have are not in existence, The but there were some mechanical computers that existed back then. Obviously not as complex as what we have today, but still allowed us to have some, them to have some really interesting automation that can be used in very intricate clockwork, you know, kind of machines. And that's also a part of steampunk as well. So even the mechanics inside it, how it functions, the sprockets, the springs, the, you know, the gears, you have to figure out how they all go together. If you want something to go wrong in one of the machines you have, if you say the spring, which doesn't actually attach to anything, breaks because of X, Y, and Z, I'm sure a clock worker would come to me and say, that's, that's bullshit. Well, the thing with that too, is that you're giving your reader a reference point. Absolutely. So you're saying, hey, this piece of technology that doesn't exist is similar to these kinds of clocks. So even if you don't give them a full uh, accounting of what is in those clocks, somebody who knows a little bit about watchmaking or clocks or, or gears or any of those kinds of things can go, oh, okay, I vaguely know what you're talking about now. Therefore, like doing that little bit of research, giving your readers those little reference points helps make your world a lot more real in a way that you kind of get to shortcut. You don't have to go into these super bogged down descriptions of what you're doing. If you can just do the, it works like a clock. Well, yeah. All right. If that gear isn't working, it's going to jam up and there's going to be a problem. Yeah. I mean, I had this idea for a pneumatic engine but I had to make sure that pneumatic engines were a thing before the 1900s. And how does that actually work with the building of the pressure? Basically, it was a way to shoot something out of like a, almost like a spear gun. But anyway, regardless of that, I had to figure out if that actually fell in my timeline. And then I also had to think about and then research the possible advances in that type of technology. What improvements have been made since the 1900s? Can I incorporate that? Or is it too advanced and I can't use it? Yeah, it's something that even when you're, you know, when you're writing fantasy, you want to really make sure that, as Ted was saying, you don't pull things from a century that is really going to just throw off your medieval fantasy, you know? And the other thing, too, is that we have a lot of myths about what the medieval age was kind of like especially given, you know, different parts of the world, that it's really important to do your research so you can even figure out like what the day-to-day -day lives of these characters are. Because one of the things that I went down uh, relatively recently was finding out the history of toothbrushes and that people have been brushing their teeth for centuries longer than we seem to think about and doing whitening for their teeth and using like toothpastes. There's so much more to these things that is really interesting to read up on, to learn about. And that's just cool. And why wouldn't you want to do the research to find out these things? Exactly. It's a fascinating. I love learning new things. Like my father-in-law says, never-ending learning. But that brings up a good question, though, is that how does research butt up against the belief systems? So if there's a belief that everyone in medieval times had bad teeth and they were rotten and smelly and didn't brush their teeth properly, and you do your research and you say, no, that's not true. They actually did brush their teeth and they whitened their teeth. Is that possibly going to derail? Because while technically your research is accurate, the common overall belief goes against that. I say that it is worth it 
because of the fact that for me, my attitude towards writing is to do no harm as much as I can. I might traumatize you as far as your feelings about my characters. And in fact, I very much enjoy getting the message from readers that is the don't talk to me right now, I'm angry at you. And it's beautiful. I love that. But I love even more perpetuating truth. So even when we're writing fantasies, when we're writing fiction and science fiction, I think that it's so important to be able to say your preconceived notion of that point in history or this presumed fact that you were taught that isn't actually a fact. So if they have to put my book down to learn about teeth brushing, or they have to learn about what an abaya is, that makes me very happy because hopefully they're going to come back to my book a little more educated. And even if they don't come back to my book, I've just kind of crammed some education into their skull. And that's never a bad thing. You know, right now we've been talking about a very large scale form of research. This goes down into the minutia. You have to understand that everyone that is reading your book, there's going to be some that are experts in something that's in there. And I heard another podcast that was very good that was talking about fabrics and textiles. Not only can you learn interesting things, but certain fabrics like cotton wasn't available all around the world at the same time. Certain rough hewn textiles weren't available in certain areas. So if you've got someone, you know, in New Zealand wearing cotton at the wrong time, then that's not going to match up. It's not going to work. So even looking at turn of phrase, words that were used, clothing that was used, clothing textiles, materials that were available at the time. And you can learn fascinating things like at a certain point back in history, buttons were extremely expensive because they're all hand carved and usually out of unique materials. And they're very expensive to have. So the more buttons you had going down your shirt, the more buttons you had coming up your boots showed a sign of wealth, which is why still perpetuating from that time to today, you get especially women's boots that are the high heeled boots that are just above the ankle that have all of these useless rows of buttons that go down. And they're just there for style and for effect. No, it's an homage to when buttons showed your, your value and your wealth. When you're doing your research, you can learn these things. And like LJ said, teach someone something new. You can learn something new. And there's a lot of really interesting research things you can go into. But with all that being said, with the importance of research, where do we find our research? And what do we all use for our research? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people nowadays use, obviously, the internet, right? And some of that, those topics, you have to verify. So I generally go and find books. I do miss the days where I could go into a library and go into like a microfilm room and look at old newspaper clippings. And I think they are all digital now. I was I was history major. Most of my time was, was spent researching, but going and proving out what actually happened, the events that took place that I was trying to either build my thesis around. I apply the same thing to what I do here. Obviously not microfilm anymore, but trying to be as accurate as possible, you know, as far as getting the information and from multiple sources to verify that what I read A online, you know, or saw in someone's YouTube video is actually accurate. So you have to have more than one source to prove that out because otherwise, again, you can get called out on it or, you know, your paper can be thrown back at you by your professor. So I'm the person here who does not have a history in academia. So I have, I think, more varied places that I go to for my research. Google Scholar is awesome. It's much better than Google. Wikipedia is, it has improved greatly. Still go to the source section and click through that. I completely agree that we need to go in depth and have additional sources for something that you've discovered, but also you don't want to get trapped going down rabbit holes. Yeah. So sometimes if it's not a huge deal in your world, whatever, 
you can go with just like one source. But one of the things that I love using is I use a lot of even fiction books to be able to research writing styles. You know, what is happening right now in the world of fiction that I should be aware of? And there's also others that do a lot of really impressive, awesome research. Like you should go and listen to a Swedish band. It's called Sabaton. And all of their music is well-researched historical events. So the one that I've been listening to the most right now has been Attack of the Dead Men, which is about a chlorine gas attack that happened in World War I. They have one about the Wing to Sars, which was the inspiration for, not the song, but the actual historical event of the Siege of Vienna was the inspiration for Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings. So you can find inspiration to start your research everywhere. And then, yeah, if you find it in music, if you find it in fiction, go and confirm it in a nonfiction source. But it's okay to, that you use that as a starting place. And if you do like metal and you do like storytelling and you do like D&D, listen to Manowar. Yes. Manowar is all heavy metal D&D songs and they're fantastic. <laughs> So like I said, I have stacks of books, probably have 30 or 40 research books. Plus, like LJ said, going through other fiction and just keeping your eyes and ears open to everything. I'll also watch documentaries and do uh, notations on current events. So I'm writing a war scene that's happening. So I'll pay attention to what's happening with wars and know, watch how the invasions are happening and how things are playing out and how the defenses are happening. And being a science fiction author, I have a ton of... Uh, Google alerts that are set up for NASA and for space and for asteroids and for technology and things like that. So I can be on the cutting edge. But the other thing I do too is what we've described before as pocket experts, where people that you can rely on to ta talk about pharmacology, to talk about poisoning, to talk to doctors, to lawyers, to munitions experts, people in the military, people that live and breathe the topics that you are working on and that you can call up and say, hey, let me grab your drink and let's have a chat because I need to work through something in my story or can you read over what I did and make sure that I did my research research accurately and make sure that I'm on the right page that's just such an exceptionally important point because it is important when you're writing characters or when you're writing moments that you can use experts on to utilize real people who have lived it you know as I am writing a book where there are so many characters that are inspired by cultures that are real world so it is important to make sure that I go and have conversations with these people to be able to say like, hey, I don't want to fall into the pitfalls of my own biases that are unconscious or conscious. Can you make sure that I'm doing this well? You know, and that's so important to do. It is. And it can be done well. There's the whole thing of don't write what you don't know. And that's true to a degree, but there's that's a very varied subject, which we'll get into on another podcast. But if you do your research and if you pay attention and people watch and keep your eyes open enough, it can really pay off. And for myself, I just had an example of this where I have a short story being released in an anthology. And the, the feedback I got from the judges that were critiquing it was that because it was about a woman who was dealing with some emotional issues. And their response back was at the end of the story, they were surprised to learn that it was written by a man because there is this whole thing of men writing women poorly. So you can write something that is not exactly in your lane if you do your research, if you do it properly, and if you get verifications. And that's another really good point. How do you verify your research is correct? And how do you know that your sources are credible? Well, I mean, if you're using nonfiction texts that are about that subject, those texts will always have the references of where they got the material. That accuracy is probably, unless something's changed in the last hundred years or whenever it was published, is probably on par. 
But when it comes to things online, you know, if you get it from a YouTube video, I don't I'm just going to make up some random name, but I'm not because it's going to. Because sometimes bullshitting hits you in the ass. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you, you might you get these people that are talking about a topic and they don't really know about it. And it sounds really great because they're presenting it really well. And then you go and check on it and they're, I mean, you're like, okay, this person does not know what the hell they're talking about. They're really, like you said, bullshitting their way to a really good popular video that is convincing everybody that this is the truth, right? So validating via secondary reference. I mean, as far as what resources you want to use, whether it's like you said, Travis, a person, or it's a secondary text or anything else, that's just a good way. At least that's what I end up doing. If I see something that's interesting, I always try to find a source, whether it's at a library or in a book somewhere. Yeah. And so like with the dental example that I used, Doing that research, I came to a website that, you know, it looked somewhat professional, but it was still very much a, a, this seems like it's somebody else who has kind of done some research, putting it out there so that other people don't have to dig quite as hard. But at the same time, I had that tab up. And then I had another one that was from a, you know, professional dental association talking about the history of dentistry. And when things started to really overlap between the two, it was the, okay, I feel confident enough in this original source because it's got definitely, you know, good, well-researched other things in it, that this thing is probably true. Well, I was able to then Google those things, you know, the, you know, how old are boar bristle brushes and, you know, rock salt and peppermint pastes for teeth. And you could get more sources about that instead of just a, uh, what the hell are you talking about? And that is the thing. So when it comes to verification and credible sources, look into what your sources were, try to cross-check, cross-reference, talk to your experts. If you have someone that you trust and you know is an expert in what you're working on, just do your due diligence is at the bare minimum. Do your research and do your due diligence on your research. And it also just creates a better story, a better ability for the reader to be pulled into your story, to be connected to your story, to feel a part of it. And it also builds your credibility as an author. So let's pause momentarily for our book of the month and our next topic. Yes, our, well, our next topic is outlining. So for the book of the month, go check out certain books that you could find out that have outlining methods, like something like Save the Cat. Or maybe even research what type of tools you could use. Plotter is one of them. And there's even places where you could go online and maybe even find free information about how to outline. Yeah, Plotter is a great program. I am connected to Plotter and they do have a free two-week trial. There's also One Stop for Writers is has a free trial and they've got some great information on outlining and stuff as well. And even my own website, thecolumnscribe.ca. If you go under Tools for Writers, there's a section that outlines some of the more common story outlining tools that we have in Western storytelling. So there's a lot of free tools that are out there. Nothing wrong with shameless self-promotion. Anyway. <laughs> so, no, sorry. Yeah, nothing nothing awesome. like the self-promotion. Hey. Yeah. No, you nothing know. like the self-promotion. I have nothing to promote, guys. So I have R2-D2 and like... <laughs> with all of that being done. So yes, go do your research and research what shameless self-promotion is. There's nothing wrong with it. Like seriously. Especially as a writer, you need to live in that world. You need to always be kind of hitting that drumbeat of look at me, you read my books. Shameless self-promotion is a lot easier, a lot less aggressive, and a lot more legal than throwing your hardcover book at someone's head saying you need to read this. Yeah, can confirm, especially when it's a, about a pound. That's, throw a, that's that at a deadly somebody. weapon right there. I thought yeah. you were selling your book so, for more than a pound. Oh, thank Ooh. God I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, we've talked about a lot of the importance of research and we've got into some of the minor reasons and some of the bigger ones, but are there any really big topics that stand out glaring? I mean, we've covered a lot of topics already for this part, but is there anything else that we've kind of missed? So as far as shameless self-promotion goes and self-interest, I want to just kind of hit a little bit on the fact that you should be doing a lot of research on inclusivity to be able to just have a fully fleshed out world. And as a disabled woman, I would love it if more people would do research into disabilities and how to include disabilities into their books without making it a pitiable state of being or the reason the villain is evil or just a, well, we'll fix it in two pages so it's fine that we cut off their hand. So that is something I know personally, I would be so excited if people would do more research into and talk to more disabled people to get more information about our lives and how it's actually a thing. We do live, we survive, and uh, we want to see ourselves in books just like anybody else does. And I know, speaking of experts, pocket experts, I know LJ and myself are both disabled and we're both more than willing to talk to people about it and what it's all about. And to that end, I read something the other day that really blew me away and I loved it. And it was, when you're a writer, be a writer Jedi. So write with the ideas of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in your stories. Be a Jedi writer. And that's pretty, uh, that's pretty good. It is pretty good. That's something that stuck. I, I saw the other. I'm like, Jedi, that's actually really good. There's a lot of acronyms that get thrown around, like BIPOC and things like that, but Jedi is a big thing. And it reminds me of a thing I saw where someone was complaining about the fact that handicap parking spaces were still handicap parking spaces after 5 p.m. And I was on Twitter, and <laughs> someone's response back was, We're handy, we're disabled, we're not vampires, Janice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we exist 24-7, regardless of the cycle of the moon uh, or what week it is or, you know, any of those kinds of things. And it would just be really exciting to see that brought a little bit more to the table because I don't want to take away from other minorities representation. You know, you should have people that are LGBT and you should have different skin tones, races, et cetera, in your books. You should never come to your novel with the mentality of telling a white, able, male story. You should be writing your stories and building them up so that it is more than just this default human, which shouldn't even be the default human because there is no such thing as a default human, which you you will know when you do your research into <laughs> all of these things and find the statistics of how many people in your country are disabled. So that maybe should be the percentage in your country that you're writing for your fantasy novel that are actually disabled. And how do you work around that? You know, or how, you know, races mixed along different continents because of trade, because of slavery, because of all of these other things that were done during the time period that you're looking at and how to extrapolate that then for your sci-fi that has trade routes that are on different planets and all of those kinds of things. There's applicable research that just makes life more interesting. Representation of the actual cultures and physical traits and mannerisms and but also the cultural places where they live, I think is also misrepresented by white authors a lot. 
if you look at someone trying to write a barbershop experience who has never been to a black barbershop in, in the United States or, or anywhere, really. And if you've never been to one, it's a completely different experience. The way that they talk to each other, they talk about the subjects, they joke, and it's like a place to gather. It's not just a place to go and get your hair cut. And someone who obviously white trying to write it, you're not getting the same type of picture. And I know that's a very centralized example, but it's it's something that for me right now is is big, especially with my son, who's African-American. I want to make sure that he has that experience. And if you're writing about that experience, you should go and experience that as well. And that's a very good point because you can go and you can experience it. And this but don't be an asshole of... while you're there. That's yeah. the only thing I would say. Yes. Yeah, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Or even if you go down to like a cultural ceremony or a, a fair or celebrating a holiday, you know, a lot of times when white people try to write these things, they just assume and they make these grandiose assumptions that this is accurate and they don't really take a lot of time to research it because either it's not something that's as important to them and to the story, but it, because of that fact, it doesn't set well with the people who might be of those cultures that are reading it. That's the thing. That's a really good point, though, especially with the cultural ceremonies and stuff like that is we're talking about writing about things that you understand or you don't understand. So right. going to a cultural ceremony, I've been to uh, tobacco ceremonies uh, with indigenous cultures. I've been in mosques. I've been all these different societies, different ceremonies, different cultures. And you can go and you can have the experience and you can understand from your perspective what that experience is. But you have to understand that you're understanding it from your perspective. You do not have the lived experience. You don't have the tradition. You don't have the roots. You don't have the tie-in of what all of this stuff means and how it truly feels. So the way you feel, the way you experience it, your perspective on it is going to be different. And that's where it is important to do your research by doing these things, but by also by talking to people and then having sensitivity readers, having people that can go through and review and make sure that you're getting the perspective right. Because they can add depth into it, or they can tell you if you're being an asshole without realizing it. So there's a lot that goes into research, and that's where we're going back to the idea of credibility and verifying your research and making sure that it's right. Regardless of the experience, whether it's the barbershop or some sort of ceremony, you're going to feel out of place. And to the point of where we brought up individuals who are references that we can talk to, majority of times that when you go to these places or in your indie situations, the owner of that barbershop might really want to be interested in talking to you about it if you approach them the right way. The person who is holding that ceremony might be really interested in giving you the information because, again, a lot of times people in white cultures don't really bring, bring themselves into the situations because they feel out of place. But in reality, you're not. People want to share some of these things with you. It's okay to feel awkward, but that's it. You know, you will. You're, but you're learning <laughs> from the experience, and that's the thing. It's a positive thing. And you shouldn't feel that you're going to be a problem if you approach it all the right way. You know, if you just show up at, you know, somebody's religious ceremony and you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you should have wore, you know, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, you're going to come across as an ass and people aren't going to be as willing to talk to you about it because it, it is a case of your privilege is showing. But if you email them ahead of time, because everyone has email and it's a really non-invasive, easy way to get in touch with people and it doesn't put anyone on the spot. If you just email them and say, hey, I'm a writer. I want to write about this topic. I'd like to be doing this research. And I think it would really help if I was able to attend this ceremony or shadow you, know, you for a day or do a ride along or something like this. Would that be possible? When would it be best at your best convenience? 
And so you're starting out with a positive relationship with these, whoever you're going to be talking to, interviewing, et cetera. And then you can gain a resource for a very long time, potentially a friend, and learn a lot about different cultures or jobs or whatever. And doing your research, like LJ said, before you get there and contacting them is a big thing because you don't want to be a fly on the wall. You want to fit in and be a part of it. So if you're attending a religious ceremony and part of that is that they've got donation boxes at the back, bring money to donate. Don't be the only one that's standing there not participating in these things. Like, And learn what practices you can participate in and what practices you cannot participate in while you're there. There's things. And that's where it comes down to the importance of doing research. I mean, you also can go and volunteer places too. And then this is not along the lines of the, some of the cultural things, but like if you want to research brewing, a lot of times on smaller breweries, there are times where they're looking for volunteers to help out with some of the cleaning, with the canning process, with the bottling, you know, and all these things are all part of that. And that whole situation with brewing is only one example. You can find other places where you can volunteer. You know, you're not getting paid for it, but as part of research, the, the experience you're getting out of that is going to help drive the accuracy of your telling of that situation. So this way you have that knowledge and especially if it's like a job, right? If you're a cab driver in New York City, you know, it's going to be crazy driving there, right? But <laughs> maybe just jump in the back of a cab and just watch them. They don't try to steal someone's cab and drive off in it. That would be bad. I think New York City police officers are going to have a cab. That would be bad. But doing these things and doing these volunteer experiences and all this kind of stuff not only builds the passion, the connection, and the tie-in for your reader to your book, but it does for you as well. But with all of these good things that can come out of writing and doing your research and all that other stuff, what happens if you do not do your research? Don't be lazy. Do your research. There's yeah. no excuse, as far as I'm concerned, to not doing your research. And you do harm when you don't do your research. And you write about minorities when you write about a job that is important, but you haven't bothered to take seriously enough to actually do the research on. You're going to be perpetuating stereotypes and nobody enjoys reading a stereotyped version of themselves on somebody's page. If you are writing a story, you should be working on it with intention and you should love your story enough to want to put in the effort to do it right. And you should honor your reader enough to put in the research to educate them or to show them some representation on the page so that you are even saying, hey, I see you. So do them a favor, do five minutes of research, open a door for them and do better. Don't be lazy. And thank you guys for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm, I'm glad I could give you the floor. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Ted. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I agree. Laziness, the laziness is, is a problem when it comes to research. And, and let's be honest, research is hard. And sometimes you can't find the accurate information you're looking for. So you have to dig further. So then people do get lazy, they decide that it's not as important to them. And, you know, misrepresenting any culture, any religion, any people that are out there is bad, obviously, you know, but it's also bad to get something wrong in your research for a subject like technology, because again, people can call you out on it. Research is hard. It's not the most well, to me, I love it. Because again, half of my college education was research. For other people, it's tedious. But when you get down to the finding out these pieces of information, you know, you're enlightening yourself. 
you're giving the reader the experience that they deserve, regardless of the subject that you're trying to present to them. And the accuracy in what you're trying to portray comes across when you do your research. So like you said, don't be lazy. Those are all very accurate, very true points. And that's the thing that comes down to it is writing an accurate novel, writing a professional novel is work. Even if it's a kid's book and it's not a full, you know, 50,000, 100,000 word book, it is work. You need to do your planning. You need to do your outlining. You need to do your research. And that's something that I often get from someone is like, well, am I going to become a successful author? And like, well, how do I build my author? How do I build my brand? It's by putting in the work. It's by doing these other little things. It's by doing the drudge work. If you're a contractor, you're a house builder, it's fun to hang drywall. It's fun to mud. It's miserable to sand all that mud back off. But it has to be done to give you a proper finished product. You have to take the proper steps. So if you want to build your brand, if you want to become a well-known, well-trusted, well-respected author, do your research, do your homework, do the fiddly bits that take a lot of time and aren't necessarily the fun part of it. And sometimes it's fun. Like I, I had an interview with a gentleman about PTSD and combat PTSD. And it's an awful topic, but it was such a profound conversation that it was just, I was really enjoying it the entire time, even though it, it was a tough, challenging topic, you know? And if you're writing like fantasy and you ever want to know anything about horses, anything, because you need to get that right, because horse people are crazy and we will jump on you for doing it wrong. I will talk your ear off about horses and I will make it fun. You know, there's a lot of ways to do this research, especially with people who are passionate about things and it'll be fun, you know, or like if you, again, like music, there's educational music out there. that's just fun to listen to. I have Sabaton on almost all of my character playlists because it's just really cool listening to them talk about the siege of Vienna or the Spartans at Thermopylae. You can make it not unpleasant. And that's just one of the awesome things about being a writer. LJ, what is the homework for this week? Go and do your research, particularly about outlining methods. Since that's the topic we're going to be doing a deep dive into next episode, go and take a look at different outlining methods and see what one might work for you or see what one you think some of your favorite authors used when they were writing their books. Very good point. This has been a fantastic conversation. I hope you all picked up something from it. We did our research for this. I hope that you will continue to do your research. With that, go sharpen your quill and get back to writing. This episode of Scribe's Journey has been presented by Wax Seal Productions Incorporated and remixed by T.R. Alder.